Hey listeners, I know you'll love this exclusive offer from our friends at Top Resume. For a limited time, you'll get 25% off any resume writing package. These packages match you with an industry expert resume writer to craft a resume built to pass the AI applicant filters and impress people on the other side. Use code HIGHERED25 at topresume.com slash resume dash writing to immediately improve your number one tool in getting that next great higher ed job. Welcome to the Higher Ed Jobs Podcast. I'm Andy Hibble, the Chief Operating Officer and one of the co-founders of Higher Ed Jobs. And I'm Kelly Sherwin, the Director of Editorial Strategy. Well, Kelly, doing the podcast has taught me one thing that I have a unique ability to say extremely stupid things. And most guests, I'm not too worried about that. But when you have somebody who's a professional stand-up comic as a guest... I'm very nervous about what I might say today because it could end up material not only in the podcast, but when he goes on stage, I could be one of his jokes. That kind of makes you famous. <laughs> We're joined today by Harry Tynowitz and trying to provide a, a biography or introduction is quite challenging, but Harry by trade is, is a stand-up comic. I believe he did it for seven years and then took that career and turned it into an amazingly successful talk radio career, first with his partner Spike uh, for the WGN program, uh, Harry and Spike, and then uh, over at ESPN 1000 here in Chicago, he was a part of the wildly successful Carmen, Yurko, and Harry show for how many years was that, Harry? Uh, we did um, Carmen, Yurko, and Harry for four years, Mac, Yurko, and Harry for eight years. Mac, Yurko, and Harry was the first sports radio show to be number one in the afternoons for uh, AM and FM for a couple of years. From there, Harry has actually become a playwright, joining forces again with uh, his his partner from years before, Spike Manton, to write a uh, play called When Harry Met Rehab. And to just kind of round out the triple threat, Harry's an actor as well. He got to co-star in the cult classic mad magazine presents up the academy and had a couple of lines in risky business and maybe here can we start with what were the lines in risky business well risky business i originally had um a part i was given a part i auditioned and i had a a very good sized uh, role in the film and i got we were starting on monday and i got a call i had friends over and i got a call on friday you know about uh, six o'clock saying that Curtis Armstrong had gotten his theater release, which theater release is is when um, you're doing a play and you had asked permission to be dismissed from the play for something that was going to be more beneficial for your career. And Curtis Armstrong asked for this and he was given this. He was doing a play off Broadway and uh, he he got the role that I was supposed to have. So I went from being the guy that says, Excellent idea, Joel. Excellent idea. But I want you to know I brought about, uh, you know, seven strong years of acting chops to that, to that line. <laughs> and I have, uh, I have two lines in the package because that director thought I was twice as good as the guy from up the academy. And then I've got, uh, one line in Bonnie Hunt's movie, Return of Me, which is actually a, a wonderful love story. That's Oh, and then I'm in another movie um, for television called American Dream, and thus completes the quintessential quintet of Harry films. <laughs> it's kind of interesting having uh, 
just and, and maybe starting with the play because I'd recently seen it. I love on the bio in the play, it ends with, most importantly, if I can get sober, anyone can. Maybe just a, a little bit of background on the play. It's a comedy about going through rehab. How do those two mix? I think comedy mixes with anything, Andy. And congratulations for finding the one unfunny line, but it's from the heart. And, uh, you know, I was I was driving home one night from the Blackhawks game. And like my character says in the show, there were nights when he would have more shots than the Blackhawks. And I uh, didn't think I had a problem. And I was told by my agent that ESPN will not fire me if I go into uh, rehab. And I went into rehab, and I didn't really want to be there. And it's kind of like when a parent tells their kid, hey, lose weight. What kid's going to listen to that? I mean, you got to want to lose weight to to lose weight. One day you just will or you won't. But uh, rehab, I didn't want to be there. I wanted no part of it. And then uh, something happened, and I decided maybe, you know, I had done I had done it the other way for about 30 years. Maybe I should try it without any booze. So I decided um, no, no drinky, and I'm sitting here thinking that it's time to write. I had a little extra time on my hands, and I had always wanted to write a script, and I had an idea for a movie that I thought I still think is great, I got about five pages in and I said, why am I making up this, you know, fictitious story when I have a story to tell inside of me? And that's what I've done here with One Harry Met Rehab is I treat the disease because it is a disease. People die from it. It's not like leukemia, but you can die from uh, alcoholism. And if you're an alcoholic and choose to ignore it, you're in big trouble. So I started with rehab going to meetings. I didn't, I didn't even know rehab meant that you go to meetings. I thought it just meant that, like, you drink in a classier way. You know, like, you go from drinking, like, you know, you're uh, Clint Eastwood in a Western to uh, James Bond. My lawyer said that if I had just taken an Uber everywhere, I would have been fine. But that's, that's wrong, because drinking a lot will kill your liver. So I wanted to write a play, and a big part of these meetings is when you get real. And you realize that if if you're going to have the upper hand on this thing, because you're never going to beat it, you know, you're never recovered. You're always in recovery. So the only way to handle this thing is by being honest, by being by being completely uh, truthful. And you got to make fun of yourself. It's kind of like when you're at a funeral and it's so sad that someone has departed, but you know you start telling funny stories about them and everybody feels better. So I figured out that one of the keys of this meeting and of this program that I'm in is to make fun of the stuff we used to hide. It was stupid that I was doing it, and I kept doing it, and I have one story that's goofier than the other story, and I put them all together, and the program I'm in doesn't allow me to talk about, nor would I want to talk about anybody else and what they've done. But, you know, I I followed just the basic uh, outline of rehab I had three roommates. One was my age, two were younger. So that's what I did in the play. And the stuff about me is about 90% true. And the stuff about everybody else is about 10% true. And I just decided that I was going to, I knew it was going to get heavy. So I had to start with a lot of humor right away. And there's comedy throughout it. And when Spike asked me to read it, I'd written a one-man show. 
And Spike said, this is surprisingly good, which is like a compliment and an insult in one fell swoop. Only Spike can do that. And so we, we rewrote it, keeping the same uh, framework, but just bringing all these other characters to life. We made it as funny as possible, but it's also as serious as possible. And we have audiences that, well, let's just say they can laugh and cry in a single sound. And just to make sure for, for folks who don't know the entire story, the recovery is, as you mentioned, ongoing. But I believe it's been a while since you've had your last drink. It's been over well, well over 10 years. If I don't mess it up, I'll hit 11 in March. And uh, I have not hit the R word yet. I have a friend that works for Little City, and, and she's told me what the R word is, and it's an awful word. In alcoholism, the R word is relapse. And for some reason, I haven't done that yet. I think the reason I haven't done it is because I'm aware that I haven't done it. This disease could jump up and and get you at any point. You got to be aware of how thin the ice is that you walk on. I can never say the name of the program because even though today I have written a play that is, you know, helping a whole bunch of people stay sober, get sober, one woman even told me her daughter checked back in rehab because she saw the show. But if I were to drink right now, if I said, boy, that Kelly, she really took me to task, it'd just be like, be very bad for my program to, to say, oh, look, you know, Harry didn't make it, he drank. But it's not about you drink so you're out. It's not like, you know, that squid game. You don't get killed if you mess up once. You just get right back on the horse and you keep trying. And, you know, there's, there's a room full of people ready to help me. So I'm in that room ready to help whoever should walk in. I think that's, that's kind of the really cool part of that, the story is not only is it heartfelt and inspirational to inspire others to confront the same challenges you were having, but it also offered a blueprint about how to use your sense of humor to get it through. Really kind of inspired me to think about bringing you on the podcast we could bring a whole bunch of business experts out there talking about how to use humor in the workplace or use humor in your job search, but who's better than to use humor in their lives than a professional comic, but then a comic who's able to take humor and get through one of life's biggest challenges using humor seems like somebody who could really offer a lot about where humor can be used in other places. So I'd love to ask you about humor. We work with colleges and universities, faculty, staff, deans, athletic coaches, residence hall directors. Now, those are in places that you're really thinking of as an off-ramp for a stand-up comedy career. But humor in everyday life throughout the campus is a big part of everyday life. Trust me, there's a lot of funny stuff on campus. But how do people use it? If you will indulge, we'd love to get started in a conversation about how to be funny at your job and how to use it in different fashions that make your work more enjoyable and make working with you more enjoyable. The first thing is you have to be aware that you don't have the right to make fun of of anyone and everyone until you make fun of yourself. Once you're able to make fun of yourself and laugh at how stupid something is like one time uh this really cool guy was trying to help me get my microphone clearer for a podcast and i had to get my 16 year old son to help me so you know i thought since he was coming in here and dropping what he was doing to help me i would make fun of him first (laughs) 
you know, are you wearing pants? And then I would just like start making fun of myself and being for being so inept. Freshman year at the University of Kansas was very hard. It was not not so much academically. I, I was at Kansas the day they taught math. It was hard and just, you know, it's the first time in your life that you're living away from home and you're living on your own. And I auditioned in high school as a senior at Nutria High School for college judges in a theater that was 1,600 seats. We had a 1,600-seat theater in high school. So I'll, I'll never be nervous or scared to audition in, if I were on Broadway or, or anywhere else because there's nothing scarier than being like, you know, 14 years old and auditioning in front of all those people in a 1,600-seat theater. That's insane. So I, I just think that, like, if you don't know how to do something, rather than fake it, because I am one of the few men that does know how to fake it, I think you got to be pretty real. And why not make fun of yourself? And, you know, you can make fun of whoever you want as long as you're making fun of yourself. So I was going to ask a question. Obviously, we know everything everything going on in the world right now with COVID. We, there's a lot of trying times. Things are stressful. How do people know when to use humor in like an appropriate situation? That's that's a great question. That's the best question I've heard all day. It's by you know it's it's wonderful that somebody has researched this. Um, I I think that you have to. Um, this is where humor plus you need a formula here. Humor plus sincerity equals legitimacy. If you say, "Oh, I was just joking. I didn't mean that." Of course, I hope that person's okay, even though I called them a you know selfish. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think that that's probably bad unless you've established, you know, the fact that the two of you well, are tight. Well, rating, we have to change uh, to the profanity settings. <laughs> kidding. Uh-oh. Just kidding. Uh, okay, good. Um, you know, COVID's awful. You know, what, 838,000 people is the last number I've heard. Innocent people that have just, you know, taken off this planet. It's got awful. You know, I hope people are, you know, listening. I know a lot of people don't vax. And I know that there are people that, you know, want to get into arguments over whether or not you should vax. I just know that anything that I could do to help protect my family from, from getting it, I would do. And, uh, you know, I would start with my mom. My, my mom was uh, getting up there in age and she had some problems with, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's. And she could never remember which one of the two that she had. But she basically got COVID. We found out after she had it that she had had it. And she basically slept through it, which is basically like how a lot of us, you know, got through college and, and stuff like that. It's like I can make fun of my mom's cooking growing up because she's my mom, you know. And like my best friend, after he'd been over a while and had enough of her dinners, he could make fun of her cooking. You know, Jewish women, you know, either they're the best cooks in the world or they're my mom. You know, my mom thought that water was a spice. <laughs> That's really not good for anybody. <laughs> so, you know, you can make fun of COVID. You can make fun of, you know, if, if it touches you, you can make fun of that. But you, if you're making fun of, of somebody else that has it or whatever, you, you've got to establish you know, how sincere you are and, you know, how you feel about that person before, you know, you start to openly um, mock them. It's interesting, like knowing your audience is obviously what you're getting at here. How in real time, if 
you're in a business meeting or you're working with your team, uh, there may be a lot of familiarity, like it would be working with your team. There may not be a lot of familiarity. There also might be differences in relationships with members of your team. How in real time, as a professional comic, when you're reading your audience, how do you make those calls on what is the right and appropriate time? And is this the right and appropriate audience to to say something that you perceive is going to be funny? Well, you know, everybody's good at something, right? You know, people say, boy, a comic, you know, what I get the most is I don't know how you can walk on stage in front of people and then try to get them to laugh. That's got to be really, really scary. To me, scary would be like a nine to five job where I've got to like go to a sales meeting and explain to them, you know, why this product is so good. You know, I couldn't do it unless I had humor. I think that a quarterback comes to the line of scrimmage, the better quarterbacks, the the, the Tom Brady's, the Aaron Rodgers, they can tell right away which guy is going to be open. They can tell, well, if they're playing the Bears, they're all going to be open. (laughs) But they can tell right away by looking at a defense in in a split second. They know, okay, the defense is going to cover, you know, Adams. If I send him off to the left, the defense is going to go that way. So if I drop back and I'm looking to the left, I'm going to be able to swing it over here to the right. And my guy's going to run all day as soon as he catches it. You know, it's simply a matter of just, you know, reading your audience is like for a quarterback reading their defense. It's like for a businessman reading the room. And I think comedy is great because comedy unites right away. You're able to unite yourself. You don't want to be the enemy. You don't want to be like the new person who they've got to learn how to trust over a series of meetings right away. You know, if if you're joking, if you're funny, if it's sincere, then I think people will join in and go, hey, you know what? This guy, this girl, they're okay. They're just fun. There's nothing wrong with it as long as it's fun. And, and you know, and I, I find I can get my answer out. And be much more productive if I'm joking around. Yeah, and relying a little bit on your your sports expertise. Is it true that when Aaron Rodgers goes to the line nowadays, he's also able to read the defense and see whether or not they're immunized as well? Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> he can. He can. He can have the, it's the damnedest thing. And uh, he's one of the few quarterbacks that I've ever seen in my life that when he calls an audible, he will, because he loves Jeopardy so much, he'll call the audible in the form of a question. <laughs> which the Bears players will do when their quarterback calls an audible. <laughs> what is 342 <laughs> Going off the, the quarterback theme, I think we can agree that a quarterback is a, a leader of the team. Kind of transitioning over to the leader in the workplace, I want to read a stat to you and get your thoughts on this. It says, research shows that leaders with any sense of humor are seen as 27% more motivating and admired than those who don't joke around. Their employees are 15% more engaged and their teams are more than twice as likely to solve a creativity challenge. What are your thoughts on that? Well, 38% of me agreed with you on that. (laughs) Uh, 24% of me did not agree with you on that. And uh, the other 38% of me um, is just trying to do the math in my head. (laughs) I absolutely think that there is a... I think when you're with somebody who's funny, when, when you're with somebody who's able to joke around, like going back to James Bond, but you know, like if you're, if you're a kid, the first time you see a James Bond movie, not only is this guy saving the world, but he's got the perfect one-liner as he saves it. Odd job. I thought you always took your hat off to a lady. 
You know, even in the face of death, he's able to joke around. That's a guy I want on my team. That's a guy that I want on my side. I'll go to work with that guy. I trust that guy. If somebody can stay calm under pressure and they can have fun with something that other people would be pulling their hair out over, I, I think that's, that's, that's a winner. I think it's a very attractive quality to a boss. And, you know, there's a difference between someone who has, you know, stayed up all night trying to get like a tight five minutes on whatever their company does. You have to have just the ability to, to naturally have fun with things. And if you can do it in pressure pack situations, I, I think companies, schools, whoever will be very desirous of you. I should point in there, we do want to hear from you. So if you have any thoughts on what you think is funny in situations, whether it's in the classroom when you're teaching or working with students or meeting with alumni, you know, reach out to us at Twitter at, at Higher Ed Jobs or hit us up on email at podcast at Higher Ed Jobs. It's interesting, Harry, in that same article, the Harvard Business Review article that Kelly talked about, about the statistics, it also talks about this instance talking about a salesperson who says, hey, my final offer is X and I'll throw in my pet frog. That stupid dad joke can increase the customer's willingness to pay by 18%. It doesn't even need to be good joke. A stupid dad joke can do that. What you're doing is you're standing out. You're separating yourself from the room. And, and, you know, I think that that's a very likable quality. And I think that you're going to find most people will appreciate that. I mean, there's a time not to go for humor. I've had trouble with that, obviously, for, for a while. But but I, I think in general, I worked for my father for uh, five years in commercial real estate, when people were looking at office buildings. And office buildings, it was the three keys of real estate, right? Location, location, location. But all the buildings are just about the same. So if I'm a boss and I see three buildings or six buildings, and they're all about the same place, they're all about the same cost. Yeah, if one guy is funny and cleverest, I'm going to listen a little more intently to what he's saying. You can get your message across without being offensive. Uh, we we were building this building at my dad's company was putting up this building with his partner at 200 West Adams and Adams and Wells. And the building that was just to the west, the property just to the west sold and they put up a new office building. And there was like 12 feet between our western wall and their eastern wall. And so the first... 18 stories or 22 stories were blacked out. And so some guys walking around in our space, looking at this new building going up and going, why are we on this floor? I don't want my people to be on a floor where they can't look out the window. I'm like, hey, do you want your people to be working? Or do you want them to be looking out the window going, I wish I could be at the Cubs game? But I had an answer ready and I felt it was better to respond, you know, with some form of humor, something to the gist of, you don't want your people looking out the window anyways when they're at work. And there's a lot of ways I could dress that up. And that's what I did. And the entire building was leased. Andy just ran out for a second so I can I can say this while he's here. But I came across a quote and it says, some days the best part of the job is that the chair spins. Oh, he came back in. <laughs> so... I, my my point is, I think we all we all can uh, agree that life is is stressful at many times, and we have different ways of you know coping with it. Sometimes healthy, sometimes unhealthy. But 
I think we all can agree that humor can be a good way to cope with it. Thank you so much for your time. It was wonderful seeing you. Bummed we didn't get you in person, but we'll figure it out next time. Fans of all of you, and Mike, thank you for making me feel, uh, uh, you know, technologically challenged again. Excellent. That's my job. (laughs) Kelly, the girl in the play that calls her boyfriend way too much is Kelly. So I don't know if you want to back off on calling your husband, or maybe it's just don't call your boyfriend so much. (laughs) Oh, that's that, a perfect thank, ending. Thank thanks, you. Harry. We'll talk to you soon. All right. If I made just one person laugh today, I didn't do a very good job. <laughs> well, you got three. Bye, Andy. Take care, Harry. Thanks, Bye. Harry. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Mike. Are you looking for a great resume? Because for a limited time, our friends at Top Resume are giving you 25% off any resume writing package. Use code HIGHERED25 at topresume.com slash resume writing to immediately improve your number one tool in getting that next great higher ed job. We appreciate your time. Thanks for listening.